Good evening. It's my honor and pleasure tonight to introduce our speaker, Mr. Steve Cummings. Steve has preached full-time for 25 years with three different congregations, and he currently serves at the Tusculum Church of Christ. He's been there for 13 years. He's a graduate of the University of North Alabama and Heritage Christian University. He speaks at a great many church events, has co-authored a book, uh, and conducts listening labs for churches that have a focus on overall church health and growth. His wife, Deidre, and he have been married for 28 years and have four children, ages 24, 20, 18, and 17. We look forward to hearing what he has to say tonight. Well, all right, good evening, everybody. Mount Julia Church of Christ, it's great to be here. David sent me an email, I don't know, several months ago and asked me if I would be willing to come and speak. And of course, I was more than willing to come and do that. David Shannon is, is one of my favorite people in the world. He's one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. And back, uh, it's been at least 15 years ago, I'm not sure how long David has been here, but I was preaching in Albertville, Alabama. And one Sunday morning, David and his young family uh, came into our church building and worshiped with us that Sunday. And he was on his way here from Gadsden, Alabama, where he preached and he had taken the uh, position as the pulpit minister here. And that was the first time I'd ever met him. We spoke just briefly, and he said he was looking forward to coming to, to Mount Juliet. He's been here all these years, and I've gotten to know David a little bit better over the years. I love David Shannon, and I know that you probably do too. I'm sure you do. And so it's an honor, it's a privilege to be here with you tonight. And uh, for the topic that you've given to me, I'm grateful and looking forward to it. And I've been blessed in my study for preparation for this lesson tonight. And I hope that you feel blessed by it too. So thank you for being here. Have you ever been talking to someone, having a conversation with someone, and it's obvious that they're not really listening to you? They're just waiting for you to be quiet so they can get to the good stuff, you know, what they want to say. Or, or that person who they butt into the conversation and they never let you finish a sentence. A few months back I was in a marriage counseling session with a couple for the first time. And so we had been talking and having the conversation for probably 30 to 45 minutes. And, and so the guy all of a sudden says, let me ask you something, Steve. He said, my wife tells me that I do things that annoy her in our conversations. He said, is there anything about me that you've detected since we've been talking that annoys you? I said, well, yeah, really there is. I said, over the past 30 to 45 minutes since we've been having this conversation, you have not allowed your wife or me to finish a single sentence. Not one time. My dad uh, used to say, good talkers come a dime a dozen, but good listeners are worth their weight in gold. And I told him I wanted to be a preacher, and he said, that's great, son. And just make sure you're not one of those preachers who make people feel worse when they leave than they did when they got there. And he said, you know, to be a good preacher, you're going to have to learn more than just talking to people, more about just talking to people, more than just talking to people. You've got to learn how to listen to people. And I thought, well, you know, man, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to, I'm going to be talking all the time. I'm going to be reading the Bible and studying to deliver lessons and Bible classes. And, and I'm going to be, I've got to train myself. I've got to go to a Bible college and I've got to get, take these speech classes. And I've got to learn how to be a good orator. And I want to speak to people. 
And what I've discovered in my ministry life over the past 25 years is that being an effective servant of the Lord and being an effective preacher, minister, has a whole lot more to do with listening than it does talking. Being a good listener is one of the most valuable, one of the most caring, one of the most loving skills or traits you can ever develop. For years I have taught a listening lab. And it's been about 10 years ago and I conducted that workshop here. Do, are any of you still here who were involved in the Lab One Calling and Caring Workshop? Raise your hand if you were in that. So there's several who, who raised your hand. There are probably 75 or 80 people there. And it's all about learning to listen. It's a 12 session workshop and it's three hours per session. And so you really get into some dynamic listening skills. You learn 11 major listening skills that if you use them effectively they'll revolutionize your life. And what you discover is that life and ministry to a great extent, whether it's your marriage or whether it's you sharing the gospel with someone, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people you live around, your success in life is going to be determined far more by how you listen than what you say. And we're going to find in the scriptures tonight where this is true and that Jesus is our example. You ever heard someone say, I'm all ears? I was talking to someone recently. I said, yeah, hey, let's get together for lunch. He, and we got together and I told him we want to talk about some things. We sat down and we had some chit chat. Then he said, I'm all ears. And that's, he was saying, I, I am fully engaged in this conversation. You know, I like those aggressive listeners. There are a lot of aggressive talkers in the world. They just want to talk and talk and talk. And they're aggressive with that. I love those aggressive listeners who are all in. They want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to butt in. They want to listen to what you have to say. They're aggressive listeners. Learning how to be an aggressive listener is important. There was a lady who came by my office about two weeks ago. And she was unannounced and she just showed up and said, I need to talk. And she was very emotional. And so she sat there and she talked for a good solid hour. And at the end of that conversation, she said to me, with tears in her eyes, you just don't know how much you've helped me today. And I'm telling you that 95% of all the words spoken in that meeting were spoken by her. And all I did was basically listen. But she felt like I had blessed her life and helped her when really I had just listened to her. And all she needed was someone to listen, to validate, and to affirm her because she was going through some great struggles. And we, we often think, well, it's something I need to say. I need to learn how to say the right thing. If I go to the funeral home, I need to learn what to say. If I meet someone in the neighborhood and I want to introduce them to Christ, it's, it's all about what I've got to say. I've got to say something. I've got to say the right thing. I'm convinced you don't know how to say the right thing until you first learn how to listen. Listen to people's lives, their hurts, their pains, their joys, their joy in life. And you meet them at, at their point of need and the intersection of their life and, and you listen. And we're going to see how Jesus did that tonight. In order to serve people, you have to get outside yourself and learn how to be all in and fully engaged in another person's life. And that requires listening. Isn't it wonderful to know that you can be like Christ? And one of the major ways to be like Christ is to simply listen. My dad one time, he was trying to tell me something. 
And, and I was a young boy. I was 14, 15 years old. And he, I kept butting in and butting in and butting in. He said, son, you must learn to listen or you're going nowhere in life. And he said, you'll learn that you'll never regret too many things you don't say. And I found that to be very true. Never regretted too many things I didn't say. Listen to these passages from God's Word. Matthew 11, verse 15. Whoever has ears, let him, let them hear. And in modern day, that would be, hey, listen up. And 1 Samuel 3.10, then the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And that's the attitude we should have about God's Word. When you read God's Word, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Speak through your Word. Lord, give me wisdom to understand. James 1 talks about praying for wisdom, and God will give it liberally and without reproach. And Psalm 81 verse 8, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. If you will listen to me. Micah 1, 2, hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains. God is trying to get the attention of everybody in the world. But we're so noisy, we want to talk and rattle and complain and criticize. We just don't listen. And God's trying to get our attention Every single day. James 1 9, this, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 12 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. There was a young man who was going through a great struggle in ministry. And I was serving as a mentor to him. And he would come to me and tell me all the things that was going on and all the, the different problems he was having. It was obvious to me he just wasn't listening. And I said, you, you think you know everything. You think, and I have a relationship with him that I could talk very, very blunt to him. I said, we've been in a mentoring relationship for five years and you're in this, this work and you are about to self-destruct. Because you just won't listen. You're smarter than everybody else. And you just won't listen. And he did self-destruct. Luke 2:46. Then after three days they found him in the temple, speaking of Jesus, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. You can't impart knowledge until you first listen to find out what people need. Luke 9.35, then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. In other words, tune out the rest of the world that's trying to tell you how you should live and what your values should be. This is my beloved son. He is the savior of the world. And he is the one that I give all authority and learn to listen to him. How often do you listen to the Lord? How often do you read God's Word with the idea of, I just want to listen to what God is trying to communicate to me personally? Not what He needs to tell the elders, and not what He needs to tell the preachers, and not what He needs to tell everybody else in your family, because we start looking at everybody else and think, if they would just listen to me, then we could solve all the problems of the world. When it just might very well be that you are the one who needs to be, be quiet and be still 
and let God work on your heart and ask him to do that. It's great to know that we can be like Christ again by just simply listening. If you want to love like Jesus, you've got to learn to keep your eyes and ears open for people who have need for encouragement, they need a helping hand, a shoulder to cry on, or just a listening ear. God never made ministry to be hard. It's not rocket science. It's about, it's about allowing other people to enter into your world, into your zone, and that you are totally and completely willing to serve them out of humility and with no selfishness that you want to listen to them and be Christ to them. We think we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to quote scripture. We, we think we've got to give all these deep theological uh, insight. We've got to uh, know what all those obscure Hebrew and Greek words are and how to, how to define those and how to use those in a sentence. And, and some people can, use the, can, can read the Greek and the Hebrew like they read the morning paper. But if you don't learn how to just humbly listen to another person like Jesus did, and probably you're going to sabotage your life, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, the people you work with. You're going to develop these blind spots that you just don't see. You, you can't understand why you've had uh, eight jobs in, in seven years. And it's everybody else's fault. You just can't understand why your kids don't want to listen to you when you don't listen to them. You don't understand why your parents won't listen to you when you don't listen to them. And you can't understand why you just can't communicate the gospel to people in a way that makes them want to respond to it. You just can't understand that. It might be that we're doing way too much talking and not enough listening. There are a lot of people in this world who need to be listened to. In fact, we all need to be listened to. And again, one of the most caring things that you can ever do is just to learn to listen. Who needs to be listened to? The lonely people. There are a lot of lonely people in this world who crave to be listened to. The elderly. They long to be listened to. They experience what's known as existential anxiety, and that's a big word that we shouldn't use big words unless we define them. And basically existential, the way I'm using it, and the context I'm using it is, is the loss of meaning. When someone becomes an elderly person, they've raised their kids, maybe they've lost a spouse, and maybe they're retired from their job, and they had positions of importance as a husband, as a wife, as a business owner, or just an employee, an elder in the church. There was a man who came to my office in Albertville, Alabama, 86 years old, years ago. He walked in with a box in his hand. And he started telling me about all, he started pulling things out of the box, letters that people had written to him, plaques that he had won, awards he had won. He told me all these stories and he just pulled all of them out and just sat them on my desk one at a time. And he was a, a dentist, a retired dentist. I said, Doc, why are you doing this? Why, why is it so important to you that I, I know this? He said, because people have forgotten. He said, you know, I served as an elder for 38 years, and after I resigned, my opinion has never been asked one time about anything. And I still think I have some things that people need to hear. It's what you call existential anxiety. It's lonely. 
uh, my wife Deidre is with me tonight, and she has a great aunt, and she comes to our family get-togethers at Christmas and Thanksgiving, things like that. And I noticed one year that her, her spirits were, were much more jovial than, than normal. And I asked her, I said, you, you seem to be so happy. She said, well, I, I've moved into an assisted living facility, and I just love it. And she got all teary-eyed. She said, I didn't know if I would want to do that or not, but, but I didn't realize just how much I needed to be around people, how, how much I needed to talk to people and have companionship with people. We need to listen to the lonely people of the world, people who are single and struggling. Deidre and I have been blessed over the past few months to minister to a young single mother. And she's been at our house and we've, we've had many long conversations. And what she needs is, she just needs someone. She's gone through a lot of things, made some really bad decisions in her life. And she's paying a price for that. And she doesn't need to be reminded of all the decisions she's made that's bad because she already knows. She needs someone to love her and listen to her and engage her in conversation to affirm her and give her some gentle, some grace and compassion and help her to move on with her life to get really good at moving forward. And that's what we all have to do. I don't care what you've gone through in life, you have to get really good at moving forward. Because Satan wants you to live in the past or the future. You live in the past, it's not something, the past is not a good place to live, it's a good place to learn from. The future is not a good place to live in either. But people are just constantly, oh, what happened to me in the past? What happened to me in the past? And it's sad, and I'm so sorry that you went through it. We've all gone through some very difficult times. Or in the future, I'll be happy if I can just get to this particular place, if I can just get there. And, and so many people have a hard time living in the precious present, the right now. The new guy on the block, the new guy at church, or lady at work in the neighborhood on your ball team. Listen to the stories of where they came from, why they're here, the relationships that they had to leave. And I'm confident that probably this Mount Juliet is a, a desirable place to live. A lot of people are moving in here. This is a desirable congregation to be a part of. And I trust that there are probably several people here who have moved from another city or another state and you're trying to find a church home, and, and maybe you've already made this your church home. But you left a lot, and you need someone to listen and help you to process all of that. Or people going through some major life event, a divorce, loss of a job, change of a job, a new baby, all kinds of kid issues, parent issues. When my family moved to the Tusculum Congregation over in South Nashville. 13 years ago, before we moved, there was a man who called, who called me that I, I didn't know from the Tusculum Congregation. He said, listen, you don't know me. And he said, but I'm so-and-so and just want to let you know that we're looking forward to you coming. And, and I'm sure that you're looking forward to coming too, but you've been at that congregation for seven years. And I know you've established a lot of relationships and you're going to be leaving behind a lot of people that you love. You're going to be leaving behind a best friend. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I'll be here when you get here. And we'll go have breakfast together, lunch together, dinner together. I look forward to building relationship with you. That's what you call ministry. It's what you call brotherly love. And why does all this matter? Well, it matters because this is how we present the gospel. We don't need to approach people initially with all of our theology and having all of our theological ducks 
arranged in just the proper order, and they're not as concerned about that. They really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's very, very true. You discover that if you live long enough. I think it's interesting some of the conversations that Jesus had with others. And my, my topic is, is learning to listen like Jesus. And there is no more important goal that you can have in life. Some people say, well, what's your, you ask the question, what's your, your, your major goal in life? I want to get to heaven. That's a great goal. I don't think that's the most important goal. I think the most important goal, the one we find in the Scriptures repeatedly time and time again, is our goal and number one goal is to be like Christ. And heaven will take care of itself if we do that. To become like Christ in the image of Christ, growing in that image every single day. There's no greater goal that you can have in life. And we, we have this, these plans about what, I want to make this much money, I want to have this house, this car, this, this stuff. I want to have the notoriety and the popularity and the looks. And we spend so much of our time, waste so much of our time, our, our time on things that are temporary. Thing, what, what is, uh, what's temporary? Temporary is that which will burn when the Lord comes back. And I've made a solemn vow that I will not get attached to anything that's going to burn when the Lord comes back. I want to focus on the eternal things of life. And that's what Jesus did. Listening to people was what Jesus did. It was very important to him. We often find him in conversations with people. And in my study for this lesson, I, I just I searched out all those conversations that Jesus had with people. I tried to dissect those conversations of what were they like? What were the themes? What kind of mood did he try to, to set? What was his attitude during those conversations? Did he talk more or did the people he was talking to, did they talk more? I found one book called uh, Why Christians Sin by J.K. Johnson. It states, out of 132 contacts that Jesus had with people recorded in the New Testament, six were in the temple, four were in the synagogue, and 122 of the conversations Jesus had with people was in the mainstream of life. He went into all of the world. And Matthew chapter 9 speaks of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he did most of his ministry. And it says that he looked out at the multitudes, all these people. And the text says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And if you do some word studies there, they were weary. That word means to fillet or skin. He looked out at the multitudes, was moved with compassion because he looked at them and they were filleted and skinned. Some of you fishermen, you, you know what it's like to catch a fish and, and to fillet or skin that fish. And you know it looks kind of hostile, doesn't it? He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, filleted, and, or skinned like sheep having no shepherd. They're weary and scattered. And the word scattered, if, if, if you really study that word, it has to do with someone who has fallen from a mortal wound and they're unable to get up on their own strength. So Jesus looked out at the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And so he just went about engaging people in life. 122 of the 136 Encounters he had with people was in the mainstream of life. And I would think that as Christians who want to be like Christ, that's where we would intersect our world. 
because quite frankly they're probably not here tonight. They may like to be, but they don't know how that works yet. So we go out and we find. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Here we have a woman at a well. And Jesus is a Samaritan village. And Jesus comes through here. And his disciples go into town to buy food. And he finds himself in the middle of the day by a woman who has been married five times. And now she's become so cavalier about marriage, she's, she's living with a guy now. Married five times, living with a woman, and Jesus engages her in a conversation, which was just something that a, uh, an upstanding Jewish man wouldn't do as it relates to a Samaritan woman, or in fact any woman as far as that's concerned. He engages her in this conversation. He talks to her about her, her life. And he, she, he changes Everything about her by that one conversation. And if you read that conversation, he listened a whole lot more than he talked. In John chapter 8, we find the story of the adulterous woman. Jesus, she was brought to Jesus. She had been caught in the act of adultery. Of course, the man was not brought. And they said, you know, Moses, he says that a woman who's caught in adultery like this, she deserves to be stoned. So, Jesus, they're trying to entrap him. So, what do you say that we should do? And he says, of course, he writes on the, on the sand. And I look forward one day to speaking to Jesus and say, what did you write in the sand? Because he may have written their names. He may have written the people that had adulterous affairs with or the fornication they'd been involved in. I don't know. But he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest they began to walk away. And the only person left there was Jesus and this woman. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? And he said, I don't condemn you either. But go and sin no more. Jesus never made a huge deal over the sin. Although the sin, he was very plain, the sin could cause you to lose your soul. He didn't make a huge deal over what a person had done. He made a big deal over how they could be forgiven. And see, what we do often is when people sin, we make a huge deal over their sin, and I don't think I can ever forgive you. And I don't, what one guy said to me one time, what my wife did to me, it would take two lords to save her. I said, no, one is enough. In the same way you judge, you'll be judged. And then we find this wee little man, Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19. He wants to see Jesus. He's a tax collector. One of the most hated men in the community. He could, couldn't find a place to see Jesus, so he sees a sycamore tree. and He, he runs ahead. And he climbs up in a sycamore tree so that he can see Jesus when he walks by. And, and, and by the way, for, for an adult Jewish man to run in public was not very sophisticated. It was frowned upon because it was viewed as childish. And it was even worse for, an adult, for a, Jewish, a grown Jewish man to climb up in a tree. And there he is, and he's, he's watching Jesus... And this guy who works for the Roman government, and everybody hates his gut, the, t the guts, the text is very clear about that. And Jesus is walking along, and, and, and Zacchaeus just wants to see him. He's walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus stops and looks up at Zacchaeus. And all these probably thousands and thousands of people, Jesus focused on this one person that everybody else hated. He said, hey, you need to come down from that tree because I must go to your house today. And when I get to heaven... 
if Zacchaeus is there, and I've got confidence Zacchaeus was there after that encounter, I want to ask Zacchaeus, what was that conversation like when Jesus went home with you that day? And then we find this rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Jesus used questions to help people draw conclusions for themselves, such as when he spoke to this guy. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he responds with a question. He says, why do you call me good? And what you find in all of these encounters that Jesus had, all 132 of them, time after time after time after time, Jesus would ask a question. And he would listen. And he would ask a question. And he would listen. Without condemning, he would ask a question and listen. Then he would give godly counsel. He would give commands. And he would question and he would listen. He didn't interrogate. See, sometimes we interrogate people with our questions. We have a very vibrant homeless ministry at our congregation. Um, we had a cookout for homeless people. There were over 130 of them there. And we had 70 to 80 members from our congregation who uh, went to this cookout and got to meet a lot of people who've been living on the streets for a very long time. And there was one guy there from our congregation that just kept on interrogating people. How did you get in this situation? And we had to say, this is, this is not what this is about. What we're trying to do is establish relationships, not interrogate these people and make them feel worse than they already feel. Jesus would ask a question and he would listen. People just want to be heard. I'm convinced... People don't necessarily want their way. They'd like to have their say. And they just want someone to listen and feel like they're, they're being listened to. And then the final story that I'll highlight is in John chapter 5. We find this paralyzed man. Jesus walked into this crowd of, uh, of people who were blind and lame and paralyzed. And, and of all these people... And we don't know how many there, there were, but they were by this pool that many believed had healing powers. And so Jesus walks through the crowd. And this, this tells you a lot about Jesus and how he did ministry. Every one of these people had issues. And there was this one guy who had been, been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus walks through the crowd and he focuses on this one guy and says, do you want to be healed? And he did ministry to that one person. I don't know what the population of Mount Juliet is. Does anyone know the population of Mount Juliet? Anybody? A bunch, huh? Nashville, Tennessee, I hear it's 600,000 to a million. It all depends on how far you go out. It intimidates me and, qu and quite frankly kind of depresses me to think about converting one million people. But it excites me to know that I can minister to one person at a time. And what we find in, in, in the stories of Jesus and his life is what I discovered, I guess more so than anything else in my study for this, is that Jesus preached to the masses, but he ministered to the individuals and the small group of people. And we need both. We need to minister to the masses, uh, preach to the masses, but he ministered, got on their level 
122 out of 132 times he was with people, engaged with people. It was in the mainstream of life. Listening and loving. And Jesus invites us to talk. And he wants to listen. And I'll close with this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, or he asked them a question, as he often did. He loved to ask questions. Who do people say that I am? He was inviting discussion. And Peter replied, some say John the Baptist, and you know, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And I can just imagine Jesus saying, hmm, okay. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And that is the question of the hour. Young people, it's like you all sit over here and, and parents are scattered out. But here's the question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you a question. And your answer to that question means everything. It has eternal weight and significance. There is no greater question that you can contemplate than the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? But because you see, until the gospel gets personal, it's never going to affect your deep heart. So who do you say that I am? That's the question of the hour. And tonight, that's the question I'll leave you with. Odds are the great majority of you in here have already confessed your faith in Christ. And you have repented of your sins. You've been baptized for the remission of your sins. If you haven't done that, then you haven't answered the question. And some people say, well, I'm not going to respond tonight. Well, no, you will respond. I, listen, I have people say to me sometimes, does it not just, is, does it not kind of depress you and discourage you when you get no responses? And listen, I get a response from every single person I ever preach to. You see, when you walk out of here lost, that is your response. When you walk out of here, church member, living in sin, and Jesus is saying again to you, who do you say that I am? You are responding. Nobody else knows your response, but you cannot not respond. And that's between you and God. But if it needs to be before this, between you and this congregation, then that needs to be taken care of too. But the, the, the question is always the same. Who do you say that I am? Am I your Savior or am I not? And that is the question. God bless you. Thank you for listening so well. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. And you come on forward if you need to. And we'll love you and take care of you. And God bless you.